Welcome to the MGC podcast. It's good to help. <laughs> Dude, now you're in your me. head. You're in your head now, now, bro. <laughs> now I'm in my head. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the MGC Podcast. It's good to have you back. Today, I am guest hosting, Pastor Johnny here, by the way, as I interview our regular host, Alex Portillo, as he uh, talks about the last several hours of Jesus' life uh, before his crucifixion, the Lord's Supper, and especially the way he relates to Judas. Let's journey together. No one else knows what Judas has done except for Jesus. And Judas is kissing Jesus to pretend or at least to look like he is in sympathy with what is happening to Jesus. And Jesus calls him friend because the disciples in that moment wouldn't assume that someone whom Jesus is calling his, him friend was responsible uh, for any of this. What would you say are three reasons you and I are such good friends? I think that one of the reasons that we are very good friends is because we have common interests uh, and we have a similar humor and uh, that we are close in age. Although we have very different backgrounds, we have three things that bring us together despite the differences. We can... um, talk about things that would bore most people but won't bore each other we can laugh about things that most other people wouldn't laugh about and we have the same amount of life experience which means that we are struggling with somewhat of the same things so i think that those are three reasons why uh, we are friends and i'd consider you a good friend That's why you were the first one to come up to my mind, because particularly right now uh, during um, this pandemic and starting at a church at the same time together, it's been a lonely time, at least for me. I don't know about you, but it's definitely been lonely for me. And you have been a person that has been constantly there and, uh, So yeah, you're my friend and I appreciate you a lot. Man, that's awesome. I would, I definitely, uh, I definitely would say that despite the fact that this has been such a kind and welcoming community that, and I say this to everybody, joining a new church, a large church during COVID, uh, when we can't hang out with people like we would under normal circumstances, it's hard. It is lonely. And, um, it's been just such a rich privilege and a pleasure for me to get to journey with you as well and to be friends together. And if I had to answer that question, I would say um, one of the gifts that you've given me is 
um, your own your own vulnerability. And I remember I brought you into my office once just to talk about your life with Jesus and to learn from you and and your journey a little bit. And that was just awesome, you know. And you were willing to open up about something so personal. And uh, I think that friendship is built on moments like that. And so I I appreciate that about you. And um, it's fun to talk and laugh. And, and you're my friend because together. I have given you too much information also. That's why you're my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But, but not, not, in a, not in a real bad way. Just, just some extra. One of the things that I love about the story of The Last Supper in the Gospels is the interaction that Jesus and Judas have, particularly because of how Jesus relates to Judas in this moment in front of everyone else, knowing that Judas is about to betray him. Can you explain this for me a little bit? What's what's going on here? Well, the moment Jesus says, one of you will betray me, no one in the room knew what that meant except for Judas. Everyone was weighing in on Jesus' comment, but in reality, it was a conversation only between uh, two people. And in telling him, you have said so, Jesus was giving him an opportunity for that statement to still be true because he had made an agreement to betray Jesus, but he had not done it yet. So Jesus gave him an opportunity for his words to be true. And he kept it between the both of them. Um, Ellen White uh, says in Desire of Ages, page 654, that until this step was taken, Judas had not passed beyond the possibility of repentance. And what is most interesting is that when Jesus calls Judas' friend, Jesus is still protecting him. Just as Jesus was protecting him at the table, Jesus was still protecting Judas, even when calling him friend, because the disciples had no clue what Judas had done. The reason that he kisses Jesus is not only to identify him to the people he's betraying him to, but to also seem sympathetic to, to what's happening. Um, and I get that from a quote from Ellen White also, um, where, where she says that, um, and I have the quote right here, it says, Judas kisses him repeatedly and appears to weep as if with sympathy with him in his peril. Even after the betrayal, Jesus kept the betrayal between the both of them in hope that Jesus' friendship would somehow bring him back to his uh, senses. Um, so yeah, in, in this story, you see that Jesus is extending friendship. He's extending the ability for Judas to repent, and he's trying to keep it as private as possible. Like, I actually wonder if um, had Judas actually repented, even after the betrayal, would any of us even know this story ever happened because of all the energy that Jesus is expending to keep it between the both of them. Tell me a little bit, maybe, what do you think this could mean? What does this example mean for us in, in practical terms? Flesh this out a little bit, this example of, of Jesus 
offering friendship, of Jesus kind of protecting Judas' ability to turn? It means confronting and extending reconciliation and forgiveness to those who hurt us without trying to gain sympathizers. It is easy to tell everyone how someone has hurt us and try to recruit people to bear our our suffering uh, with us. But had Judas repented, no one would have ever known uh, what had happened and his actions would have never been public. At least we don't know that, but I, I, that's what I would assume would have happened. So when we extend uh, reconciliation and forgiveness to others, it's okay for it to remain private. And I think it should remain private, at least until the other party refuses to repent or refuses to, to be reconciled at that point. Just like Judas, it gets exposed. Um, it wasn't until Judas refused to be reconciled. It wasn't until he refused to repent that his actions were exposed. And I think it's the same way for us that we can extend grace. We can extend mercy and keep it private. But if the other person refuses to repent, eventually the sin will be made known. Uh, and that's very clear by Jesus' instructions in Matthew chapter 18. You know, if, if the person uh, does not repent, bring the church into it. And that would mean that if they did repent, you didn't have to let anybody else know about what had happened. Yeah, you've gained a brother. Yeah. In uh, Matthew twenty six fifty, and and you referred to this, um, Jesus calls Judas friend. So this is after the supper. Um, this is this is as Judas is coming into the garden to get Jesus with a mob behind him, with soldiers, with clubs. Why do you think Jesus calls Judas friend in this moment? I think that Jesus calls Judas friend in this moment for the reason that I already stated that no one else knows what Judas has done except for Jesus. And Judas is kissing Jesus to pretend or at least to look like he is in sympathy with what is happening to Jesus. And Jesus calls him friend because the disciples in that moment wouldn't assume that someone whom Jesus is calling his, him friend was responsible uh, for any of this. But for Judas, who knows that Jesus knows, he would recognize that Jesus is still extending him a grace despite what he has done. Do you think it was hard for Jesus to call Judas friend in that moment? I think that the decision was easy, but the act was hard. We often assume that love and grace, mercy, all these wonderful things that define Jesus came easy for him. But a big part of Christian theology, when we say, we, we say that Christ was like us, but he was also not like us, um, 
but it is because he was like us that we strive to, 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 to follow his example saying like what he accomplished, we can accomplish just as Jesus struggled in this, on this earth with suffering, with heat, with cold, with pain. I think that he also suffered through the difficulty that it is to forgive, show grace and show mercy in this body. Um, so I think that the decision was easy for him because he knew what was right and what was wrong. But I think that the act was still difficult for him because he still has to overcome what makes him human to, to do the act. Hmm. Hmm. That's, that's getting deep. We're talking nature of Christ right now. That's some, <laughs> that's some deep theology right there. I want to uh, unpack this a little bit more still. Um, this word for friend, uh, you mentioned something that was very interesting to me. This is not the common word for friend. This is a unique word for friend in the New Testament. And you said that this this specific word for friend, this is like this is like BFF, you know, best friend forever, best friend for life sort of friendship. Um, how is this word used? in Matthew and the rest of the New Testament. The word only appears four times in the entire New Testament, and they all appear in the book of Matthew. And every time it is used to describe a person who is ungrateful or disrespectful. Uh, the first time it appears where Jesus says, what am I going to compare this generation to? It is like children calling out to their friends on the streets. Hey, when we played great music, you didn't dance. And when we played a dirge, you didn't mourn. Um, in the same way, when the religious leader didn't listen to John when he preached. The second time it is ungrateful um, workers accusing the master uh, who had hired them of being unjust in their wages. And the second time, it is a peasant who was invited by the grace of the king to his party and disrespected him. And each time, the king and the, the master, they call these ungrateful people friends. It's a, a grace that is extended to them, a relationship that is affirmed between these people when it's qu not quite deserved. So when I when I hear you explain that, and I think that's a that's a beautiful explanation, and yet when I hear all these examples, I'm a little bit more cynical, maybe. Like I can't help but wonder if this isn't actually a word for friend that's actually more like a pseudo friend, you know, like, well, let me tell you, friend. You know, and uh, uh, why is it that you think it is a real term of endearment and not some sort of ironic term? In both parables, the character that uses the word friend is meant to represent God. And in each case, the word is used to describe the generosity that God has given to someone who is undeserving. Um, in calling the abusers friends, he is exposing the evilness of the behavior. Uh, 
It is because they are supposed to be friends that the actions are all the more hurtful. It is because they are friends uh, with the king, with the owner, that they should know to behave differently. If you, Johnny, were to do something wicked to me, what makes that action so hurtful is the fact that we are friends. If we weren't friends, it's still wicked, but it's not as hurtful because I did not because what can be expected of a stranger. Um, And if we are friends of God, that is what makes our rejection of God's generosity so hurtful is because it's not a behavior that you would expect from a friend. Oof. Oh, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And that hits me. It's like, I just thought about like, if I dropped my wallet on the street, you know, and I had a hundred dollars cash in it, if you come by and you pick it up, you know, and you look at it and you see my license in there and you see all my cards and everything, if you don't return it, I'm going to be like, Alex, you're my friend. You're my friend. Why didn't you return my wallet? Whereas if a stranger doesn't, doesn't follow up with me, I'm like, well, yep. You know, but, but that calling out of a friend. Mm. Mm. One other thing that I'm curious about with this word friend, um, how is this word used in the rest of the Bible? So you talked about Matthew in the New Testament, um, but what about in the, in the Greek Old Testament? How is it used there? Is it, is it the same in the Old Testament as it is in, in these Matthew examples, or is it different? Yeah, and to clarify for anyone who is listening right now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the New Testament writers were influenced by the Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint or the 70. I didn't get a big opportunity to to look at its its usage, but just as a a quick glance at how the word was used in the Greek uh, Old Testament, it's it's used um, how you'd expect it to be used. You know, I don't think that every word is a leaves a trail like there's some theological meaning behind every word. And uh, as you know, Johnny, sometimes it's not the word, but it's the syntax of the word that is that 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 is meaningful. And from my reading of it, there wasn't any particular pattern or meaning that I saw behind the word, you know, every time it's, it's, it's used as a friend, like someone who you're, you're, you're really close with. But what was interesting to me was more the usage of the word in the apoc the apocryphal writings. Um, there's like five times or six times really that it appears, um, in the wisdom of Sirach. Um, and every time it, it's almost like the wisdom is always contradictory because friendships are so complex. You know, like there's one, um, I actually have some examples right here. Like in 37.2, it says, um, is it not sorrowful until death when a comrade and a friend who turns into an enemy? Like, isn't it sorrowful when your friends turn to enemies? It's like, oof, oof, when they pick up your wallet on the street. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Or like when a friend turns you in to be killed and murdered. (laughs) Um, In 37.4, which is like just two verses after that, it says, a comrade of a friend will delight in merriment, but will be against him in a time of affliction. So it's like when things are good, 
your friends are there, but when things are bad, they're gone. And it truly, that is like the nature of a friendship. And then the next verse, it says a comrade helps a friend thanks to his belly, but in the midst of war, he will take a shield. In other words, when things are good, your friends are only there because you can feed them. But if there's war, your friends got your back. So you see, I think that the wisdom of the Old Testament, or at least the intertestamental period, because that's when this is, it says like there's friends have a complex relationship that friends can let you down, but friends can also lift you up. And I think that that is the, the wisdom, at least that the intertestamental uh, writers took from um, this relationship of a friend. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you for listening. Today's episode was part one of our discussion with Pastor Alex. Please join us tomorrow as we conclude our conversation.